Welcome to Bear Paradigm. We are your hosts, Clarity and Nuance. Bear Paradigm is a digital bird place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The hosts and guests come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We here at Third Paradigm will discuss the ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we the hosts share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. So, what's on the, t on the uh, table for today? Uh, looks like we got a holiday coming up here in the month of January, right, uh, Clarity? Yeah, it looks like today is um, a holiday coming up is Day of Civil Service. So, we wanted to come report. Civil Service. Yeah. Oh, you mean Martin Luther King Day? That's right. Yeah, because that was the original name intended for Martin Luther King Day, but then it kind of got turned into kind of lionizing just Dr. King himself. And not to say that he's not a legend, but that is not initially what Dr. King wanted. And it's funny that um, and I heard in, uh, from people in the black community that the, um, they have a second happy birthday song, not just the one that everyone sings. They have the song that goes, happy birthday to ya, happy birthday to ya. Excuse my singing, but uh, not being on key. But uh, that song was actually done by Stevie Wonder to basically lobby the United States to recognize Dr. King's birthday as a holiday, lo, lo and behold. So, uh, yeah, but that, that is the, the little bit of um, subcultural history about Dr. King's day really being a day of, to recognize civil service and to encourage civil service. That's so, incredible. Yeah. So, uh, all right, so let's get to the questions. Yeah, okay. I, I think I have to take over. Yeah. You need to take over for this one, right? Hi. Tim, Hi. Tim, Tim. Over. My name's Tim. And this episode, I would like to ask you guys a question. Ooh. Oh, wow. So the guests are the host today? The yeah. Yeah. Turn, they won't. That's, that's what I say. What, what do you say, Barbara? I say we ask the questions today. I would like to hear what Clarity and Nuance think. Wow. I mean, all right, cool. I mean, usually we have other people, you know, Clarity and Nuance is always the same person, but hey, I mean, this is, yeah. all right. Well, I guess we'll do our civil service today. How about that? <laughs> I guess we're going to answer the questions today. That's going to be pretty cool. And it looks like we also have another special guest with us, Rogue, as well. So yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all down. All right, cool. Ask away. Awesome. Okay, so let's start out with something super light, the icebreaker. Um, what was your favorite childhood TV show before you were a teen? What was your favorite show ever? And I guess we'll throw it to uh, Nuance first. Oh, all right. Um, if I had to go with the show I was pretty much like, just, I had to watch before my teen years, like my teen you know, preteen, it, it would be Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, just 100%. Um, I know that at first people think now that, oh, they had, you know, the person who had Native American descent be the Red Ranger, then they had the black person be the 
from Black Ranger, they had the Asian girl be the, the Yellow Ranger, and so on and so forth, and the, the, the one white girl, she was like the Pink Ranger, <laughs> and then they had uh, a, a white guy as the Blue Ranger, and then they had another white guy as the Green Ranger, who I will say Green Ranger, White Ranger forever was the best, Tommy, but, uh, but, but the Black Ranger got down, though, he actually kind of showed him how to have some game when it came how, how he liked Kimberly, and he, he yes, he knew how to dance, He's actually, uh, I know his mom still lives in Detroit, um, Michigan. So um, he is uh, definitely from the uh, from uh, the major black city in America. Um, that's just what I've heard of the grapevine. And uh, he, he, he's very talented, still very talented to say. But um, they switched it up with the colors and the people. But I think they really were trying to foster um, a multicultural environment for young people. And... It was just, it was just an awesome show. It was, it was an awesome show at its time, even though it originally came from Japan. The way they did it in America really appealed to a lot of people. So, yeah, I, I, think everyone, I think the thing is that everyone could kind of see themselves. Yeah. In the show, and that helped to make it that like multicultural, like unifying the youth kind of TV show. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so uh, let's uh, shoot it to Rogue. Um, I would have to say um, MacGyver, like the original. I, I think there's a remake now. I've never seen that, and I have no interest in it. Um, but the original, um, it was just so inventive and just so outrageously dated in the 80s. <laughs> I was a kid back then. And uh, I just, MacGyver, when I was a kid, he seemed to be more wholesome, I guess, than some of the other people on TV shows, like, you know, the A-Team, they were all, like, military people, and, I, you know, of course, MacGyver was, like, this civilian, and he was kind of, you know, corny in his chivalry, and uh, um, he was really anti-gun, I'm really anti-gun, and so I, I liked, you know, my, my perception of, of what he believed in back then. Obviously, watching it as an adult, I realized that there, you know, things in it that are, you know, very different than how I perceived it when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, I just perceived him as this virtuous person who found really creative solutions to, to, um, you know, the, the, the gritty, you know, action stuff I saw on other TV shows by people who carried guns all the whole time. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you for saying that. What an inter- I, that's such an interesting uh, show for a kid. Love that. Okay, so um, what does Clarity think? Childhood, favorite TV show before my teens. There was like a list of them. <laughs> and what's really funny and kind of ironic is they kind of came in a package almost um, growing up. Um, my shows that I would name definitely for sure, I was a big Magic School Bus kid. I was a big Arthur fan. Still to this day, to some extent, I will openly admit that. Um, they're like on season 25 now, I think, or something like that on Arthur. Like, they're going hardcore. And they also are going really far after social justice issues in the show. I'm very impressed by that. Um, and when it comes to other shows-wise that I was, like, glued to was Goof Troop, Gummy Bears, Darkwing Duck. Those were, like, the Disney shows, like Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. So anything that was, like, on the... Saturday morning TV kind of thing. I watch those shows like religiously. Um, those shows, and I think Fraggle Rock also came on. It was like their Saturday morning lineup. So you would see like this particular 
block of shows from the Fraggle Rock show, which was like the, uh, like it's from Jim Henson. So you have the Muppet kind of characters. And then you have like the 2D animated TV shows. And love those. That's a big fan of those shows. Yeah, definitely. I agree with the Fraggle Rock. That was one of my favorites growing up too. A hundred percent. That's just and, and also just everything on one Saturday morning. <laughs> one Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Yep. Saturday morning. 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 That's awesome. I love that. Um, mine was, uh, I think it was a mixture of like uh, reading Rainbow was definitely one of my favorites. Um, I'm not, I can't remember how long that was uh, a show that was running for, but I just remember watching it a lot and being obsessed with LeVar Burton. Um, and then. Um, I don't know. I mean, I remember really liking, obviously, I said, I said Fraggle Rock. So, yeah, I would say probably those two were probably my biggest ones. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Those are all very interesting answers for sure. Um, so starting off with our first question, what do you believe, Rev... Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say today after the terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol. You want to shoot that one to Clarity? Um, yeah, let's hear it from Clarity. So what do I believe Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King would say from the terrorist attack? I honestly think he would be appalled. Um, he'd be appalled. Um and call out for what it is. Like, it, it point blank shows violence, danger, all of that, but he would definitely not shy away from the white privilege. I personally, in my opinion, feel that he would definitely call out and say things that we've seen reported, where it's like, you bring out your worst when it comes to Black Lives Matter protests, like you got your right gear and everything up, and they get tear gassed, they've gotten shot at, they've gotten all kinds of things. And I know people who've, who've gotten run-ins and sent to jail from these for peaceful protests. Um, but these guys, they waltzed right into the Capitol and started taking things and just like vandalizing, doing all that. And it's like, it's a double standard. It, it, it really shows right there. And I think he would adamantly call that out for what it is. That's that's what I personally feel. That's a very valid answer. Um, nuance. What is your say on this? Um, I would have to agree with Clarity. I think he would. I think he would pretty much tie a lot of the things he said in his previous. Uh, sermons and speeches to why this even happened and would, would really cross-reference things that he preached 50 years ago about the great evils of the world, about the Trump major thing. 
just about, about a lot of the things that he was talking about that he knew would come to fruition and how hatred can twist um, twist a man or a woman's sight and make them do things that they wouldn't do. He would call for peace, but his understanding of peace is that peace is not the absence of conflict, but, it, but the presence of justice. And um, he, because he was always involved in conflict, so he, he would be appalled and he, he would, I think he, the fire that you saw in the 60s would even be like multiplied at least sevenfold today. I agree. I mean, that's all I can really say. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. So, um, Barbara, is there a question that you have for Nuance? Oh, sure, yeah. Let's, um, so the second question we had was, in the light of the attempted coup d'etat on the U.S. Capitol after the certification of the general election 2020 and the Democratic Party victories of Georgia's Senate seats, how do we continue to foster an atmosphere of nonviolence when we, when we have people in power and fellow citizens who will engage in the violence when elections are lost, new laws are made, or as society changes? Yeah, um, that is a tricky question because a lot of people are really fed up. Like, they're just fed up, period, with especially um, people in the black community, people who have been oppressed, people who have been fighting for civil rights, or been white people since the 60s who have been involved in civil rights, teachers, unions, and they're just fed up and they're tired. And they're tired of being bullied. They're tired of always living in fear of what somebody violent might do. It's like the ancient society of, well, you got to take the oppression we give you because this other group of bandits will raise you and rape you and pillage you and kill you. And I think that we have to have a new understanding of what forgiveness is. And forgiveness is not out of fear. And I think, um, I think on a certain level, maybe those who are the oppressors have, are angry even when people such as black people and people of color and white people who are, you know, fighting for justice, when they forgive, they get angry about it because it reflects on them how bad they are and that it's, the forgiveness is out of fear and people are not confusing forgiveness for trust. Forgiveness is letting go of anger and hurt so you can do and be the best you. Um, to go in the tradition of Dr. King, the scriptural part of Ezekiel, when the Jews ask for forgiveness, they say, don't ask forgiveness based upon who we are, but based on who you are. And I think for over 400 plus years and 500 for, for um, the sins of African slaves, as well as 500 plus years for our indigenous brothers and sisters and for all the white people who have been good witnesses and have been fighting and abolitionists, they understand that the forgiveness is based on who they are. And I think that we have to really challenge this notion of censorship online because it's not social media and all these websites that cause the violence. In fact, it may be easier to find. It's bad government not using these resources. They spy on people who protest for justice all the time. They did it in Coattail Info. They did it um, now with these Black Lives Matter protests with the infrared lasers and cameras spying on people who are at the White House and Washington Lincoln Memorial. You know, all these places. But when it comes to 
white violence, which has never been, been accountable in this country, they just let it go. And the reports are coming out that some people must have known where some people's offices who have no name, like Representative Jim Clyburn, there's an office he has that, you know, no one knows where exactly it is unless you truly know. So there's an inside job here. So that's what I think it's going to take is government, some government stepping up and being ran properly. Because censoring people online is just taking away more rights from people, whether you like the hate speech or not. This makes it easy to find people if they're going to promote it. That's my take on it. Sure, yeah. I would definitely agree with a lot of what you said. I think the, the you know, fostering the atmosphere of nonviolence is it's hard when you're, you know, when people are fighting for rights. And um, I think we can take some inspiration from some of the, some of the, um, some of the preaching that um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did when, when looking at that as a subject. Okay. Um, this next question I have is for clarity. Um, Dr. Cornell West has written the book called Radical King, which shows how the powers that can be Santa-clified, which is making a fairy tale of the image and legacy of Dr. King's work, his statements on society, and what his dream truly is. What do you think are the flaws in how Dr. King Jr. and the civil rights movement are taught to young people and society at large? Ooh. <laughs> so this, taking a step back from this for a quick second, this is something that I've seen because I love studying world religions and it's kind of tie into each other. I've noticed that if you only like um, show just a tiny bit of something, like let's say, say for example, a passage in a scripture or in his speech, like I have a dream speech, and that one sentence is repeated over and over and over, for those at large, it ends up becoming embedded as that's the truth. That must be the entire message behind what they represented. And then the way that they get taught becomes very glorified and all of this, and it just, it kind of gets passed on. I think the biggest flaws behind that, though, is it doesn't, first, it doesn't really show the context, like the bigger picture. In the world of um, anthropology, we did a, a, um, a, a, an experiment where we went to a coffee house, and we took a picture of something random in a coffee house, and we would report on it and say, like, okay, so this is all that you see. So what do you think is going on in there? Well, it leaves out everything that wasn't photographed. So the same thing happens when it comes to the speeches. People will find like um, people are equal regardless of skin color, about the contents of their character, all that stuff. But if anyone was teaching them the entire speech, there's a lot in there that would make people to this day shiver. He called out police brutality in that. He called out capitalism in. He would be he would be plastered all across websites like Infowars and Breitbart as like this massive terrorist person. They would not glorify him the way that we see today. So what I think at the base end of it all that's an issue is first it's the question of power. Who is taking those speeches and watering them down? Now I don't want to necessarily say it's just whitewashed even though that is kind of the obvious, but for those who don't know anything about him and that's all they hear about, they're like, well, yeah, I'm going to take this as fact because those who are in power are the ones that influence. 
And when he gets glorified so much to that point, it becomes one of those like he's untouchable. You can't question him. He's he's um, he's the one that brought black and white people together. And I, I think like going back to that photograph um, lesson that we had in anthropology, it leaves out the context and everything else that he stood for and what he said. He was disliked by both black and white communities. He was um, criticized. He was vilified. He was not liked. But today, people use him as a prop to say, I can't be racist. See, this is what MLK said. And I love my insert person of color name here person because yada, 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 yada. But it's like, no, he called out systematic racism before it became, quote, unquote, a hashtag. He called out police brutality. He called out so many things that would, like I said, would make people cringe. And I think the flaws, what it boils down to is, again, not teaching the raw and going over section by section of these empowering speeches. That's kind of like my biggest thing, I think. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that opinion. That's very valid. And I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So um, question number four. Why do you believe that the same problems that existed in Dr. G uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s time have are still here today? And after we've been told consistently that we've made so much progress, um, we still exist. We still see police brutality, economic injustice, socialism for the rich, rugged individualism for everyone else, allowing uh, unequal justice under the law, education, reparations, um, etc. Why do you think that um, after we've been told that, um, after we've been told, you know, consistently that we've made so much progress, why do you think that these things still exist? And uh, let's shoot that question to Rogue. Thank you. Um, those basically um, laws, passing new laws, civil rights laws, voting laws, etc. Um, they don't change people's hearts. Just making something legal or illegal isn't going to change people's beliefs. So when you have deep-rooted family cultures of racism, whether it's because they're stereotypical southern beliefs or they're northerners who think they're above racism and they're so racist they don't even realize they're racist or whatever it is. Um, something becoming legal or legal pertaining to the people they don't like isn't going to change their beliefs. Or if it does, it's going to take a long time. In the meantime, they're going to contaminate the next generation with those beliefs. When we think about things like segregated bathrooms and I just that example keeps coming to mind because I think my parents are not you know I mean they're technically they're they're elderly but they're in their 70s you know they're not in their 90s you know in wheelchairs or whatever they're not incredibly old they're still sharp enough to carry on intelligent conversations work part-time whatever and they're when when they they were old enough to remember segregated bathrooms so that shows that really wasn't that long ago. So if my parents had had beliefs like that, where they didn't want us to associate with any other types of people, they would have contaminated me with those beliefs. And even though I'm, you know, under the age of 50 and living in the 21st century, 
and you know all those those things they grew up with are illegal now. If if I had been taught those messages by them, even if it was subtle, I would still believe that crap today. And it would, in some ways, it would almost be more dangerous because I wouldn't even acknowledge it. I would think I'm one of these post-racialists, and that what I'm doing is is good, saying things like race doesn't matter or hey, we had a black president, we're over it, get over it. Um, and I would just be, you know, like a lot of people, totally clueless that no, that that does that that does harm. That 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 doesn't help people. That just you know, that's, that's just as disempowering as saying, hey, you can't move into this neighborhood. So those beliefs are still around because people have, they, they, they've gone underground. And people, and people they, um, Robin D'Angelo points out in her book, White Fragility, that the definition of racism that white people are taught is completely useless to help white people understand racism. They see racism as this thing that these hateful, evil people do. You know, she says, racism is a system, not an event. It's not, you know, oh, that bad person over there who beat up a, a black person or, or wouldn't let his children fight with black children. That's a hateful, terrible person. I'm not like that. I'm a good person. I can't be racist. They don't even see that the dumb things they say about race doesn't matter and all these things, that that's incredibly racist. So. It's that lack of awareness that keeps it going. These folks aren't willing to confront that, that okay, this is still racism. This is just a different form. It's evolved. They keep saying, no, 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 it's not racist. So they just ignore it, and the problem persists. Just like not going to the doctor when you know you're sick. Oh, it's not bad enough. It's not messing me up that much. I'm just going to keep dealing with it. And then you just, you're just incredibly healthier or incredibly unhealthy your entire life, and you never fix the problem. You just keep, you know, shuffling through it, and and and, and you just you don't solve anything for yourself or anyone else. So that's what I got. Wow, yeah, that was really really well answered. Thank you very much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so nuance. How do we as individuals go forward in doing? our part to make Dr. King and civil rights movement the American dream and the dream of the world. Do we as a society put too much of the movements for justice in the people who lead and represent them? Um, For example, do some people make movements for justice codependent on leaders, today's politicians, from these traditions? Uh, yeah. Um, I would say yes to that last question. I think when you want to make this dream, the American dream, and the dream of the world, we have to, one, look at the war machine. Um, The thing that basically made Dr. King very unpopular taking on a corrupt um, system of greed, which is um, corrupt crony capitalism, or any system for that matter, whether it's socialism or a monarchy or communism, all of them can be made corrupt. Um, We have a hybrid economy, or at least we should, but unfortunately our private sector is basically monopolizing the market, 
there's there's a lot of monopolies in the private sector, and then it dictates the public sector, and it shouldn't be that way. There should be regulations. But you also have to deal with the war machine, because what what we do as a country, he called the United States the biggest purveyor of violence, um, and it was true that the the war in Vietnam truly is part of the autopsy of America because it kept being repeated after now. And what we do in other countries, we do here. What we do here, we do in other countries. So we have to also look at how, let's say you have movements like for unions or for progressive ideas. There's so much fear. And I remember um, looking online when Bernie Sanders lost again. I think there's so much fear that if you hold your politicians accountable for bad things that they do, even though you like them and they represent your ideas and they've moved the overturn window so far that the movement will die. And it begs the question, was the movement always about the people or was the, or was the people coming out of the movement? It's the same question um, I think that was in Dr. King's time, Ella Baker who ran SNCC, which uh, John Lewis came from, where they would practice nonviolent um, nonviolent uh, civil disobedience, and it was kind of dangerous letting people put cigarettes buzzed on you and slap you in the face. Ella Baker argued with Dr. King that it is, that it is pew to pulpit, i.e. the people to the preacher, rather than Dr. King saying it's from the preacher to the pulpit, the preacher to the people. And if you go from, I think the answer I've come up from is that it's both. I think it starts with the people who are on the front lines and who are the base and who have the vision, the preacher, um, giving it to the pulpit, but then the pulpit gives it back to the preacher and letting them know these are the issues. Um, someone, being someone that has read scripture before, as Dr. King has in the book of Revelations, the first thing that Jesus talked about was to the angel of this church, to the angel of that church. And then when you look in it, the two churches that did well is based upon what was going on with the people. The churches that didn't do well was what, what was going on with the people. So the preacher can give, the leader can give the vision, but that leader is sharpened and judged by what's going on with the people. So we have to not idealize and make saviors out of people who are politicians, who are um, just leaders in the community, because they're people and they're going to make mistakes. I mean, the CARES Act really did hurt our economy. Even the people who stormed the Capitol, no, they've been screwed. They're doing things wrong and doing things the wrong way, but they know they've been screwed like we have. So the fact of the matter is, by holding them accountable and them confessing to it and then actually repenting of it, i.e. changing their thoughts and their ways about it, that's the better way to go rather than acting like, well, this is not who we are, as a lot of people are saying. No, this is who we are. And until we accept who we are and what we've done, you can never change things. You can't change what you reject. So I think that we have to be honest and bold and not afraid to deal with people who are going to be angry. Otherwise, we're just allowing ourselves to be bullied. And as Dr. King said, when those who are oppressed do not call out the oppressors, they become just as evil as the oppressor. And that was in his last sermon in Why America May Go to Hell, the sermon he was supposed to preach that was in his pocket when he was assassinated on April 4th. So that, it, that is what we have to do. We can't be afraid to say to the people that are closest to us, to say, yo, this is not right, you're messing up, you're not serving people. Because even if you don't take corporate dollars, if you're not accountable to the people, then that's not democratizing power. What's the point? Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with a lot of those points that you brought up. I think that's a, 
a very important and valid answer. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so wrapping it down a little, let's, um, I can, uh, I'll ask Clarity to maybe like share your feelings and um, perspectives on um, sharing today and what you thought of answering some of these questions. I really like sharing these perspectives and hearing everyone's different views. Like my partner here, Nuance, brings up all these incredible quotes that for me I'd never heard and it solidifies the positions when it comes to sharing a perspective. And same with Rogue where it's just like, it's, it, it's one of those like this is designed specifically so that way everyone can just be open and honest and be able to share perspectives and, and especially with everything going on where we feel very isolated both physically and mentally um, as I've heard in the past from other guests that we've had it really does kind of bring people together in a digital space and it really makes you feel that you're not alone at the end of the day so that's that's the biggest thing that I really appreciate we can open that question up to the floor so if anybody else wants to share their thoughts and perspectives on um, how they felt sharing today? I always feel motivated and, and I always, I appreciate learning more from, from everyone um, else participating, um, especially nuance. I just, I, I, I love just all of the, all of the, the insights, um, the, the words you use, just, I mean, I, I, I can picture you being a, a professor, a workshop facilitator, um, commentator, just, I, 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 I just, I, I, I want one of these days that, that more people are going to hear you. Like, I would love that for you to, like, become a household name. Like, right, like, have your name on, name on books and stuff. Just the, the things that you know and the fact that you, you speak from both your heart and also from your own scholarship. You know, from viewing, listening, and reading, um, it's not only just, you know, life experience, whatever, which obviously is valid too, but I like that you balance that with all of your scholarship so and that and and i get more ideas and i'm always taking notes as we're talking so that when these things come up in my daily life i can be articulate and and you know the the i you know the things that other people on on the show say will come to mind to you know so that i'm less likely to draw a blank if someone says well you know i believe this and and if i realize that they're saying something that is you know, systemically racist or whatever, I, from, from our discussions here, I have a lot more, um, you know, a lot more to back up my assertions with. And also that, you know, since everybody mentions the books and, and the teachers and the, the, the podcasts and the videos and things that they're reading, listening to and watching, I drop that down and then I know that, oh, these are good sources for me to go to and learn more. So I, I like that we, that we that we educate each other as we're doing this in addition to feeling good that hey i'm not the only one who's thinking this or suffering through this or who has this idea so so thank you everything uh 
Um, wow. Uh, thank you for that compliment, Rogue. Um, I, I I second what everyone else said. Honestly, I um, to, I'm, I'm actually grateful that we were challenged by Tim Drake and Barbara Gordon today to to actually participate. And I just hold back um, and just ask questions. Um, I actually really appreciate it because I was actually fuming over this week just from what I saw and just the horror. And as angry as I am about how some people are being treated unfairly when they do things in a nonviolent way, even though they're, they're kind of disturbing the peace. So as much as we say it's peaceful, the point is to disturb the peace. It, it, they do it in a nonviolent way. But even with those who are committing violence, um, there are some some of those. What happened as a whole? I even got to this point. I feel bad for the people who are gassed up to even go that way. And it's not just Donald Trump; it's the whole system. And I just love hearing the perspective of my uh, partner, Clarity, and just seeing how things have been advertised over the years. I think he he said it better than anybody could. And I really appreciate what Rhodes said and how um, you kind of went in the vein of Dr. King's father, who always told him when he was uh, preaching to make it plain, make it clear, make it real, and how you talked about the way racism is taught in white communities. And I think it's even just beyond white communities. I think it can be in black communities too, because we can all play our part in it, um, whether we're white or black or a person of color, we're gay or straight. We're cis, we're trans, and because we're all kind of conditioned this way, and how you said it's useless, and it's like you let it fester, like, oh, I got this little nagging thing, even though it's more than a nagging thing, it's okay, it's not bad, and then you never get healthy because you never go to the doctor to take care of it. I think that was the best analogy that I've ever heard that just cuts right to the heart of it in such a concise way, so thank you both for, um, thank you everyone for, for the host for asking questions and for you both um, answering them so eloquently. I learned a lot. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. I think uh, definitely everyone needs a, uh, a moment to vent. So uh, I definitely am like so glad to have heard the perspectives of uh, our traditional hosts, Clarity and Nuance. Pretty amazing your guys' thoughts on, uh, on, on a topic that's so sensitive and so heavy right now, weighing on everyone. I think it was really cool to hear your perspective on these on these issues. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you all for this. I think we kind of we usually do the answer of like perspectives, and we kind of tied in who touched who today already. So I just hope that um. I hope that we just inspire people just to keep continuing to fight the good fight, keep the faith, and win the race, as they say. Have the conversation. Have the conversations, real conversations, not just engage, listen, and engage. Don't just listen because it would be intent to dispute, and don't just hear the person. Engage and act. And act. And act. So whatever you can do in civil society, whether you can. Um, join an NGO, a non-governmental organization that focuses on an issue. You know, you don't have to necessarily work with a politician or you can just focus on an issue in your community 
And it's, it, I mean, yeah, speaking up in your family is very important and your friends, you know, that, that's important because um, something I remember a uh, pastor of mine asked, what is the purpose of marriage? And a lot of people say it's love or they say it's happiness. And he said, both of those answers are actually wrong. I mean, happiness and love should be in it, but the real answer is being able to seek the truth together. And I think that that's where, why we got to this place is that there been, there's been a covering up of the truth for so long by groups of people who wanted to hold on to power and not make other people feel bad about what happened in the past. And if you can't be honest, um, any family will break down and any society will break down. And just because it was the truth that something horrible happened and people participated in it, we don't have to put our identities or put people's identities in the bad thing they did. They just need to acknowledge and accept that and then show how forgiveness worthy they want to be. Because you can forgive people whether they choose to do better or not. But to be like, do you want to continue to identify with those actions? Do you want that to be the center or do you want to change? Um, so, yeah. I don't know if my... we have a lot of time to, but I wrote something actually on my wall that was very thought-provoking. And I was kind of curious if I should share it or not. Um, yeah. So I'm going to try to... Yeah, because um, I don't know if people read it all the way to the bottom, but there's a reason for this particular post. Well, do, is this on your personal wall, or is this on the wall for uh, for Paradigm? Because, you know, they're clarity and nuance change. Yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Um, I can always put it on the the third Paradigm one, but I'll, be, I'll try reading it relatively quickly so it's not too terribly long. But it was very thought-provoking, and it came up randomly. So it's kind of a bit of a letter. Um, it's, I call it a letter to the world. And it basically goes, hello, world. I'm really struggling internally. Every day I find out new things about myself that I thought was in the past solved or dealt with, but it keeps coming back. I learned something completely different than what I was told. The trauma, the pain, the fear of unknown wields its ugly head every day. I feel I want to move forward, but my actions keep me in the past. I blame someone else and go as far as I can to make sure my energy is external and make their life hell. To rid the world of evil and terror. I also focus heavily on trying to help those in Externally, because I want the world to be a better place for those who are suffering. Sometimes, but not always with the best intention. I've been called a hypocrite, a worthy one, a racist, a sexist, strange, a homophobe, silly, transphobe, Islamophobe, anti-Semitic, an evil one, a beautiful one, amazing one, a danger, and a dream. I feel conflicted. I was taught one thing and accepted it as just is life. But now I'm finding out every day there's new experiences, new life paths I can learn from others, new identities that I was so blind to. I feel in my heart that I must move forward, but I'm scared. I'm scared of being vulnerable, opening myself up to criticism, and worse yet, facing my own worst enemy, myself. I was told I'm special, that no other one can be me. Shine like the gold in the rough, stars on a clear night, if I hold myself to the standard, others will flock to me. But I'm learning not everyone has good intentions. I try to cut people out I deem, quote, not safe. I cut people out who I feel is, quote, dangerous. Those who will use me, abuse my resources, and take advantage of me. I want to take control of my life, but I don't want to just everyone in. But I don't want to cut out everyone. Every good friend was once a perfect stranger. I want to feel in control. I've come to learn that my past actions have devastated so many to this day. I believe to my core essence that my standards were just. To question them is to be blasphemous. To my standards in a historical context is wrong. 
But to give up some of these standards, I feel makes me lose myself. Maybe I can adjust my standards to fit with my changing life, but not abandon them. Is there a middle path? There is a great war going on internally, the past at war with the present. Countless ancestors flow and influence through me, yet I still don't know who I am. I've been touched and influenced by countless people, but I still don't know. Who am I? What is my purpose? Does moving forward mean something must be left behind? Does leveling my life mean, quote, all equal? Do I give up my standards or change with the times? How do I help others, but also protect myself? I'm scared, I'm scared world. I feel I need help, but I'm not afraid of change. I'm going through a massive loss that will traumatize countless descendants in decades to come. How can I move forward without losing myself? How can I learn from my past, change my present systems, and propel to the future? Who am I? Yours truly, America. You hit the nail on the head. Thank you, Clarity. That was very clarifying. <laughs> no pun intended, but yeah. Thank you. It was very well well written, and uh, yeah, I think it resonates with a lot of us right now, especially after the week we've had. I really feel that when people read that, if they relate to it thinking that was about me personally, then it shows that we're more connected to the land than we think. Because the thing is, is we're all going through that individually, especially after 2020, but then if you look at it as a larger, like, like a larger sphere, the nation as a whole is going through that. So we're like cells inside of the body of the nation. We're more yeah. connected to the earth. Right. So... Well, thank you all for... Thank you. <laughs> we do have to go to the doctor. We do. We do have to go to the doctor for real. So, and I think we we've got some we've got some doctors in the past that we just need to start listening to. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, thank you all for hosting for for participating. We hope that everyone here in America and in the world, we know that this doesn't just happen in America. This happens in other countries where there's so much unrest, so much injustice, um, just please learn from our, 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 our triumphs and our mistakes, and we'll learn from yours. And that, that's all. And we're signing off. We love you all. Take care. Love you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thank you.